0: If you think you heard all this on this program today by coincidence, you have no idea what's going on. Your soul brought you to these words right now,
1: not by coincidence. Welcome to the Dr. Espen podcast, where we explore the latest in quantum science, personal development, consciousness and spirituality, health, as well as business and money mastery. Join me as I interview experts from all over the world sharing the most incredible stories of transformation. This is where we provide you with the exact tools and coaching activities you need to expand your consciousness in each of the eight areas of your life. For more info on our events, programs, coaching, etc., go to drspen.com for the full quantum experience. Greetings and welcome to the Dr. Espen podcast. I'm Espen and today I am humbly grateful and very, very, very excited to share the stage and have a beautiful conscious conversation with none other than Neil Donald Walsh. This is impactful for me personally because I have followed his work for quite some time and have been able to, thank God, be able to develop a relationship with God, with the creator over some time. But bar from being that conversation only, I want to talk about the work that Neil has received over the years, that he's compiled over the years, and what he's put together in, of course, the series called Conversations with God. And this is going to be a remarkable time, so please set aside whatever it is that you're doing, if you can be fully present and listen, this is going to be a conversation that could, if you lean in really have a profoundly beautiful impact on your life. So let me start by the official introduction. Neil Donald Walsh has written over 40 books on contemporary spirituality and its practical application in everyday life, including his new book, which we're going to talk about today as well, God Talk, Experiences of Humanity's Connection with a Higher Power. A book in the Common Sentience book series. Neil is the best-selling author of the Conversations with God series, which I'm sure you've heard about, which seven out of the nine books made the New York Times bestseller list. Seven out of the nine. Book one remained on the list for 134 weeks. His titles have been translated into 37 different languages, have been read by millions of people all around the world, and today... We have him here live with us. So I want to say a very special thank you, Neil. How are you today?
0: Well, I'm I'm, I'm feeling no pressure because I understand that people need to listen very carefully to every word that's being said today because they, every word could change your life. So
1: no pressure. So I'm excited to talk a little bit about what is healing and, and the relationship with the Creator look like. I want to start with the first question, if I can, Neil. Now we've seen this, 40 books in Quickly in the prelude before we jumped on and pressed record in this meeting, you said it's not my message. I, I said thank you for the work for the work that you're bringing to the world, and I said you know it's been really meaningful in my life. And he said it's not my work. Now, can you talk a little bit about this? I understand that you've had the opportunity to connect to, to something greater than yourself, and here we are, 40 books later. Tell us a little bit about your journey, please.
0: Well, if I could, Aspen, I don't want people to feel that somehow I am the source of any of the wisdom that is found in the conversations with God books. And some people do make that mistake. When they they greet me, when they meet me, they, they somehow treat me differently than they would treat other people because they think I'm, you know, some kind of elevated source. I've got to disabuse people of that notion as rapidly as I can by simply telling the truth. It's not my wisdom. The information that came through has touched people's lives and my own in a positive way, but it's not coming from me. It's coming through me, but not from me. So all I did really was take dictation. I simply sat down at a time in my life when I was very, very sad and frankly angry with God because nothing in my life was working. It's worse than that. It's not that nothing was working. Actually, everything was falling apart. May I tell you the story that led up to uh, this uh, first encounter? Absolutely. I had lost my relationship with my previous, with with my wife at that time. You know, previous wife. I'm married now to someone else, but I had lost that relationship. And I wasn't happy about it. It wasn't a bitter thing. We just both calmly and peacefully agreed it it just wasn't working. So we decided to part company, but I I didn't want to part company. So I felt a great tragedy in losing that relationship because we had created children together. It was not quite as simple as just walking out the front door. But five days after I agreed to leave and find a little apartment for myself, I was fired. I lost my job. I wasn't actually fired, you know, like people fire people for... Bad performance. In fact, my boss said to me, "You're one of the people I really hate to lose because you're really, really good at what you do." But we've gotten orders from headquarters. We have to downsize. We we have to lose, cut some overhead. So you were the last person in, first person out, last in, first out. No seniority. I've got to let you go. So I lose my relationship and my job within the same five-day period. But wait, Aspen. The world wasn't done with me yet three days after that i'm on the road driving to an appointment for another interview for a job interview i'm certain i'm going to get this job because i have all the qualifications and high high recommendations from my just previous boss but i never got to the interview an elderly gentleman turned his car in front of me made a left turn in front of my car misjudged the distance between our two cars and smashed right into me it wasn't a fender bender My car was totaled and he smashed right into the driver's side. So I was severely injured. In fact, I suffered a broken neck and it wasn't a hairline fracture of my neck. I saw the wording on the the report that came back later. It said that I had suffered a three-quarter inch avulsion fracture of the seventh cervical vertebrae posteriorly. Espen, as you know, That's a break in your neck large enough to put a pencil through. The doctor leaned over the table when I came out of the anesthesia. Of course, I was in enormous pain, but they woke me up, you know, and I came out. And the doctor looked at me and he said, You understand, Mr. Walsh, that eight out of 10 people who suffer that kind of a break in their neck don't live to tell about it because of spinal cord complications. You're very, very fortunate. But not only that, those few who do survive, are inevitably paralyzed from the neck down. You have suffered neither consequence. He leaned over the table and he said to me, So what do you intend to do with the rest of your life? Because you've been given a gift today that I rarely see in this operating room. Stop me in my tracks. I realized that it, in fact, was a turning point in my life. They fitted me with what's known in the business as a Philadelphia collar, a therapeutic device that holds your head up. And the doctor said to me, you know, imagine a bowling ball on the head of a pin. Your neck cannot support your head. She will not take this collar off for any reason. I don't care if you're showering. I don't care if you're sleeping. I don't care if you're making love. I don't care what you're doing. You keep this collar on your neck until we tell you to take it off. I said, yes, sir. I I get it. But guess what? Nobody would hire me. I was denied the opportunity to work for somebody else. One interview after the other ended with thank you, but no thanks. Until yeah. finally the seventh person said to me, I, I finally heard from the seventh guy, he was honest enough to say, Mr. Walsh, nobody's going to hire you as long as you're wearing that therapeutic device on your collar. We, we all understand clearly that you make one wrong move on the job and we're paying your medical bills for the next 10 years of your life you come in here when you're through with that therapy and and you're healed and we'd hire you in a minute. So I couldn't get a job. I had no income. I ran out of my savings. I know, I'm sorry, this is a long story, but this is how it happened. I ran out of my savings and finally my landlord in a little garage top apartment that I managed to get asked me to leave. He he didn't ask me to leave. He evicted me because I couldn't pay the rent anymore. I was too much behind in my rent. He said, I got to ask you to go. I wound up living on the sidewalk in Espen. I lived on the street, sleeping on the concrete, going to person after person with my hand out. If you could spare anything, a few coins, I'd be very grateful. So that I could eat that day. And I was lucky enough that most people put at least a few coins, once in a while, some folding money in my hand. And by the end of the day, I was actually able to put some food in my stomach but then I really realized the ultimate loss of dignity of being on the street for a year. No place to use the bathroom. I had to sneak into restaurants, literally slip into the side door, hoping that the manager wouldn't see me. And most often the manager would, because you know, I didn't smell that great. I hadn't been in a shower stall in weeks. My hair was down to the middle of my back. My clothes hadn't been washed. One doesn't spend money to wash one's clothes when you're living from penny to penny. So there I was, and I walk into the restaurant, and the manager was on me all over the place. Look, don't let me ask you to leave. Don't let me call the police. Just, I don't want you panhandling the customers. And I got to beg the guy, sir, please, can I have just seven minutes, just seven minutes? I need to use the bathroom. I have no place to use the bathroom. I promise. I promise I won't talk to anybody. I won't bother anybody. I won't panhandle anybody. Just need to use the toilet. Manager looks at me and he says, all right, in and out. You got me? In and out. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. And I slip in and I slip out. And so I realize what it's like to not have a dime to your name, not have any money at all, not even enough to buy a bag of French fries. And if you are lucky enough to be able to eat a bag of french fries, no place to use your biological functions. So I tell you, when I finally got back on the street, I finally got this collar off. And I got a job. It was a weekend job. It wasn't full-time. I got a part-time job. It started off that way. Got a part-time job. But at least it was enough money to afford getting into a small little hovel again, little one-room apartment someplace, which I did. I, at least I got out of the weather, out of the cold, out of the rain. See, you don't really know what it's like to have to sleep outside in the rain for three days. Interesting experience. When I finally got out of the weather, and guess what? That little one-room apartment, it actually had a bathroom. Yeah. Oh, my God, luxury. Oh, my God, Luxury. So I woke up at 424 in the morning one night, screaming inside my head to God, okay, all right, all right, all right, I got it. What have I done to deserve a life of such continuing struggle? Am I such a bad human being? Have I made so many horrible mistakes for you? Why am I being punished this way? And if this is not punishment, then what is going on? Explain it to me. What does it take to make life work? And I even I even sat down, you know, and I I saw the yellow legal pad on the coffee table in front of me next to the used couch, which I managed to throw in there. And I started writing an angry letter to God, just, just to get my feelings out. I was just expressing myself. Dear God. And I recall writing, tell me the rules. I'll play. I will play this game. Just tell me the rules. And I heard a voice. As when I heard a voice saying to me, Neil, do you really want answers to all of these questions? Or are you just venting? And I'm thinking, you think? Yeah, I'm venting. <laughs> but if you've got answers, I'd sure as hell like to know what they are. And I was scribbling that on the paper. I'd sure as hell like to know what they are. And the voice said to me, you are sure as hell, Neil, about a lot of things. But would it be nice to be sure it's heaven? Mm. Now I'm writing, all right, all right, what's that supposed to mean? Before I know it, not by design, just because that's the way it happened, I'm involved in this two-way exchange that I wound up calling a two-way conversation with God. Question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. Until I had many, many, many pages of handwritten dialogue. Then I was told, about a third of the way through what became the first book, I was told, Neil, you will make of this a book, and you will cause it to be accessed by many people. You know what I thought, (laughs) Esmond? Sure, of course. Yeah, now I got you. Now I got you. He said, this is just my imagination. I'm just making this all up. That's not going to happen. No publisher is going to put out a book. Is even going to agree to publish a book by a guy who says he's talking to God. It's not going to happen. I mean, can you see the publisher going out to the workroom floor, saying to his editors at their desks, hold everything, stop everything, hold the presses. I got a guy here who's talking to God. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Nobody's going to publish a book like this. So I sent my handwritten notes. I Xeroxed them. Because I, I I did not have a computer at that time. And I, I sent my handwritten notes to a couple of publishers, small-time publishers, not major huge publishers, but, you know, some independent publishers. By golly, two and a half weeks or so later, my phone rings. I put my phone number, of course, in the manuscript. And the phone rings. And the guy says, we want to publish your book. I said, you are you're kidding me. Really? You're going to publish these handwritten notes? He said, yeah. We, yes, we, we read them. Everybody here agrees. and My editor's think this is a hell of a good work of fiction, wonderful fiction book. I said, just a second. Wait a minute. This is not a fiction book. You're not going to publish it as a book of fiction. And the guy says to me on the phone, are you telling me this actually happened to you in real life? I said, Yes. These are my notes taken in the moment of the actual experience. He said, whoa, well, okay, we'll put it out as a nonfiction book. But boy, as a nonfiction book, it's not going to get a lot of readers. I mean, with a title like Conversations with God, it's really a pushback for a lot of people. I said, then don't publish it. He said, no, no, we'll we'll put it out just to see what happens. So they put the book out, and I thought... (laughs) He's right. It's not going to sell 500 copies. And I was correct about that. It didn't sell 500 copies. Sold 5 million. Not bragging, just saying. It's just what happened. I'm like, are you kidding me? And then, of course, the major publishers in New York City started calling me. Do you have any sisters like that at home? Because they all wanted to date, you know my sisters, any any other books that I had like that. So I said, well, you know, I, I, yes, I'm still, having the, I'm still having the experience. The experience is going on. They said, send us whatever you've got. So I called that first publisher, small-time publisher on the East Coast of the United States, and told him what had been happening. And I said, I don't want to send them and you, You were the ones who had the courage to put the first book out. Would you be interested in publishing any any further books? He said, absolutely. So they did. They published additional books, and then they wound up selling those books to the major publishers in New York that purchased them from this relatively small publishing house so that everybody wins. There were no losers in that particular process. But it was a wonderful experience. And that was like nine dialogue books later. Here we are today talking about how it all happened and how it all occurred. And I've been asking, I'm almost stunned here, but I would just say I've, I've been asking the kinds of questions that all people ask. What is life about? Who are we? Why are we here? Tell me all I need to know about sexuality, about white livelihood, about dieting, about parenting. Tell me all I need to know. I just, since I've got you on the line anyway. So I was asking all the questions that all of us ask about most airy aspect of our life. Nine books later, here we are talking about it.
1: Five million copies. Phenomenal. Would you say that God, he, she, it gave you, or that you had to go through the experience of the trauma and the poverty and the despair? And by the way, to fracture the the posterior aspect, the back of your neck, that is, as you said, the front is not as dangerous. The back, we're looking at, as you said, highly likelihood to be paralyzed and you know, at the best end or dead. But here you are. Do you think God, in whatever way, shape or form, put you through that experience or that you maybe needed to go through that experience to break down so that you could channel and access the information that came through? What are your thoughts on that?
0: Well, I think that I needed the experience, but I don't think that all of us do. I want to make the point that because God made it very clear to me. This is not the required curriculum for anyone who wants to get closer to the divine. But some people, Neil, like you, are really, really stubborn or closed minded or think you already have all the answers that you need to have or whatever's going on with you. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and I realized that I'm the kind of person you got to bang over the head with a two-by-four because I just don't get it any other way. So for me, I think I did need to go through those experiences But I don't think it's, I don't think, I know, I know absolutely that it's not required of everybody who wants to have a closer relationship with the divine. But it was my curriculum. Yep, I think it was my particular pathway because it's just what good old Neil required. The same thing in my personal relationships. You know, my, my marriages, I had to learn the same way in my marriages because I've been married more than once. Well, actually, I've been married more than twice. So the truth is, well, actually, I've been married more than three times. So as I looked at, well, actually, I've been married more than four times. So as I move through the rest of my life and I see, well, actually, I've been married more than five times. So in the process of learning about relationship, well, actually, I've been married more than six times. So in the process of learning how relationship, well, actually, I'm now on my seventh marriage, not my seventh live-in girlfriend, not my seventh partner, my seventh put a ring on their finger marriage legal union. I'm not bragging about that just letting you know that two by four Neil here has had to learn everything the hard way, the most difficult way, including what I've finally come to understand about how to make a marriage work. And I'm still not doing as well at that as I would like but I'm doing better than I ever did before because after seven, tries and six failed marriages, I certainly should have picked up some piece of information about what love is really about, what is the true nature of love. That's what my life has taught me.
1: Beautiful. I want to ask you about your new book, and I'm really excited to, to read this book myself. It's called God Talk, and it's actually your 40th book. What makes God Talk special and different from your previous books?
0: Well, number one, how it even came to pass, most authors write a book and then they try to find a publisher who is willing to put it out there. In this case, and that's been true for my first 39 books as well. Fortunately, I have a literary agent who puts it out, there, takes my writing, and as he, to use his phrase, shops it around to see if anybody wants to put the book out. But in this case, my telephone rang. Right? This never happened before. And it's a publisher calling me on the phone saying, Neil, would you be willing and interested in writing a book for us? I said, wow, what do you have in mind? He said, well, we'd like you to write a book about how people could have their own conversation with God. Since you've written nine dialogue books in the dialogue series, mm-hmm. you know, would you share with with the public? Some ways that they could maybe get closer to God and have their own conversation. I said, I sure'd be happy to. So I went ahead and, and wrote, wrote out what I thought were some ways that people could have a closer relationship with the divine and even a conversation with God directly, two way conversation. Not just not just talking to God in the form of prayer, but two way conversation. Where we talk to God, God talks to us, we talk to God, God talks to us, and we have it literally a two-way interaction. So I put that in the book. That makes it different from anything I've ever written before that that was quite that specific. What's also interesting is that the publisher then went did something clever, I thought, they went online and they invited the the general public. They said, if you've ever felt that you had an instance of divine intervention in your life, please send us your story. And they, they told me that hundreds of people sent them stories of moments of divine intervention in their own life. They picked out seven or eight of the best stories and included them as the second part of the book God Talk for a particular reason. They wanted people to understand this is not just about this one guy in the in, in the state of Oregon, in, in the U.S. It's not, it's not just about Neil Donald Walsh as you know, the latest human to declare that he's having an interaction with God on a personal level. This is about people all over the world. People are having this, these kinds of experiences, moments of divine interventions, all the time. So don't get into thinking that it's about this one guy in Oregon. And I was so grateful for, to them for doing that because I didn't that, that fit right into my intention that people wouldn't think of me as anything special. In fact, here's what God said to me. God said, Neil, I talk to people all the time. I talk to everybody. The question is not to whom am I talking. The question is who is listening. But what happens is that people call these experiences something else. They call them, you know, uh, an epiphany or a sudden insight or a moment of incredible clarity or a brilliant idea or, you know, women's intuition, whatever words they can find to get away with describing When something becomes clear to them that wasn't clear before. Mm -hmm. I simply called it exactly how I experienced it. I called it a conversation with God.
1: Oh, love it. I understand now that we can actually learn how to have a better and more meaningful and more aware conversation with God in that sense. God talk. I can't wait to read it. I remember when I broke both my legs in a motorcycle accident in 2006. In 2008, I got a really nasty hospital infection and the doctor said, well, you know, we'll cut your leg off, the right leg, because then we can stop the infection from spreading. I did the conventional medical therapies. It got me a little bit better, but then I started getting rapidly worse. And within a year and two months, I knew in my heart that the infection was spreading and that I was on my path to death, physical death. And when the surgeon looked at me and he said, you know, we'll take your leg or if we don't do that, then the chances of infection spreading and getting sepsis is very high and you might die. I get goosebumps and truth bumps when I speak of this. That's when I had my first experience with the creator. And the experience was simple. It came, it felt like a a message of light coming through my crown, like a lightning bolt. and I was told to go home, sit on my bed, and breathe. And I did not know know why or what or how, but I started breathing. And as I was breathing, I was experiencing past traumas of my brother passing away and finding him dead when I was five and he was only a baby, and bullying and challenging and things like that. And I realized as, as I was breathing that a lot of these traumas that were stored in my cells, stored in my memory, were coming up and and leaving. And so I kept breathing and I kept breathing and tears were coming out and I was experiencing emotions of despair and all of the things, the challenges, but also of beauty, of peace and grace and and simplicity and wholeness and light. And, and I, you know, difficult to put it in English language, but I was saved because I learned something about me, which was that I could heal myself through my breath and other things. So I am alive because of a message that I received, and I was very different to yours, but I just wanted to speak to it quickly because from that moment on, I've actually had the privilege of, I guess, dialing in a bit more to what is around me and what is within me, slowing down the mind and paying attention to these so-called synchronicities or experiences where the Creator, where God may be, he, she, it's speaking through me. And I think this is very important these days with how busy we've gotten as a species in the modern world and whatever else. So it really became, well, it changed my life. It actually didn't change my life. It saved my life. So as you said, I don't think everybody needs to have trauma to have that conversation. Hence why this um, conversation that we're having today could be the starting uh, place or maybe even the continuation of an ongoing conversation with the Creator. I think this is really powerful. What are some of the ways, you mentioned, Neil, that we can actually have a conversation with God?
0: Well, I I put together, when I looked back at my own experience, I realized that there were certain phases that I went through, which kind of like in a neat way, I didn't decide it that way, it just turned out to be kind of like what I would call six steps. That as I looked back over my experience, I found myself taking. Step number one, to embrace the possibility that such a conversation was even even possible. I mean, to embrace the possibility that an entity called God actually exists. Not everyone thinks that there is a God. So step one is, do I think it's possible that there is a God? And do I think that it's possible that God actually could be talking to human beings? Step number two for me was worthiness. To realize that if I think there is a God and that God is talking to people, because, you know, most of the religions say that God talked to at least certain people, the Pope or the Archbishop of Canterbury or the Chief Ulama or the head rabbi or somebody. God talked to Moses for sure. God talked to Jesus. Everyone agrees and so forth and so on. So, so clearly God speaks to some people, but God wouldn't speak to me. I mean, come on. Not, not, not. So the second step was I had to embrace my worthiness, I had to say to myself, wait a minute, of course, God, even if I think I'm the worst sinner in the world, especially if I think I'm the worst sinner in the world, that's who God would talk to. God would not ignore the person who needs to hear from her the most. He'd be the first person to come to you in your time of need. So I managed to embrace my worthiness to have such a conversation. Then I went to step number three, willingness Now that I got that it's possible and that that I'm worthy of it, I had to be willing for it to happen. This was not a small step for me, Espen, because most of the world's religions, and there are, by the way, over 4,200 religions now being practiced, not from the beginning of time, but on this day of our life, 4,200 religions being practiced on the planet today. And most of those religions tell us that, come on, you can't walk around talking and say that God is talking to you and that and God is speaking through you. Come on. That's blasphemy. That's heresy. That's apostasy. And in certain countries, saying that could actually get you killed by the religious authorities who would bring you up on ecclesiastical crimes. So we have to be willing to overcome the cultural bias of the largest number of people in our society who claim that God is not talking through you and directly to you. Come on. That takes courage to say, you know what? Cultural bias or not, this is what's happening to me. Then we go to step four, wakefulness. Once we agree that we're willing to have such a experience, we have to stay awake because it's happening all the time, but it's going right past us. Mm -hmm. We're looking right through it. We're not even seeing it. We're not awake. We're not staying awake. God is talking to us and communicating with us in a hundred ways across a thousand moments in every one of our consecutive lifetimes. There's no question about that. So it's a question of staying awake. And then step number five is acceptance. To not only stay awake to the messages, but when we receive the message, to call it what it is. Use whatever words you want to use. Call it women's intuition, if you want, or an epiphany, whatever words are comfortable to you. But at least don't call it, it's just my imagination, or I'm just making it all up, or it's just a coincidence, you know, or serendipity. No, 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 no. It's intentional. It's an intentional communication from the universe, if you please. So don't reject it and do nothing about it because you think it's just your imagination. Because God talks to us, as I said, in a thousand different ways in our lifetime. The chance utterance of a friend we just happened to run into on the street. A conversation we overhear between two people in a coffee shop that we just happen to overhear. The words on the next billboard as we're driving around the corner and realize, are you kidding me? That billboard has a message on it that's speaking directly to the question that I've been dealing with and many, many other ways that that life will speak to us. So then we finally get to the sixth and final step for me, which was discernment. To be able to discern the difference between messages from the divine, if you please, and messages that are coming to us increasingly these days with the internet and everything else going on now, which wasn't even part of our life 25 years ago at this level. But now at this level, we're being bombarded with messages, hundreds of messages daily from hundreds of sources to be able to discern the difference that the messages of God are always loving, they're always freedom-giving, they're always joyful, and they're always messages for our own good. That is, and there would never be messages, ever, that would suggest being harmful or injuring, either verbally or physically, to any other species, any of human beings, to any other human beings. So, if you're hearing a message of course the Bible tells us that God actually ordered the killing of over a million people if you don't believe me, read the Bible with a calculator in your hand and punch in the numbers every time you see a statement in the Bible that God ordered the the killing of those people or the elimination if you please of certain people. over one million people are claimed to have been ordered by God to be killed or destroyed so we have to realize that God would never send us any message that would invite us to do harm, physical or verbal harm, to any other human being. Those like are the six steps, and the six steps are described in much greater detail. I just flipped through them very quickly here, but I described those steps in great detail in the book, God Talk.
1: Thank you. And thank you also for giving us the tools to be able to have the regular conversation, an ongoing conversation with the creator. Uh, You mentioned something very powerful here, Neil, and you're saying the discernment between the messages. We know that there's been a lot of manipulation in media, and there's certainly been a lot of messages that aren't from the vibration of love. Sensationalism sells, and it could be easier to attach uh, or get someone's attention through fear than through love, and we understand that God is love. What are you experiencing and seeing in the world right now? And I know that this is a a subjective question and it's relevant for everybody in their own way and what they believe, and we can create our own reality by coming from love. But how important is it now more than ever to have a conversation and a connection with God? And what role may this play in what the world is experiencing and what we're going through as humanity
0: Well, it's not important at all unless we are seeking a a different experience in our world than the experience we're now having. See, civilizations have existed on planets throughout the universe for billions of years. Say we're just one of billions of those civilizations throughout uh, the corridors of time. So, it's not like God's up there saying, now on this particular little pinpoint of a planet, one of billions of planets and to go across trillions of years, this is what I need to have happen. God is simply empowering all the sentient beings in the cosmos to determine what they choose and wish to experience in their present moment reality. So, it's important to us, unless it's not. But to those of us to whom it is important, Then we have been given a pathway to possibly creating change, certainly to create a different experience in our own individual life, and possibly even to touch the lives of others in a way that could encourage a wave of change one person at a time across the entire planet. We could be doing things like maybe even having our own podcast, touching thousands of people. Who knows? Mm. So... Or having our own TV program or having our own outreach, whatever it might be. Or simply, you know what? Not even having to be not don't have to be a TV broadcaster or a podcaster or an author. Just the way you move through the world. Sociologists tell us, by the way, that most people will touch two hundred and fifty thousand individuals in their lifetime, if they live a you know a normal lifetime to the age of around 65 or 70 years old or more, they will, they will touch over 250,000 people. When you, when you go to the ballpark, you're touching 60,000 people right there at the stadium. When you go to a concert, you're touching 2,500 people right there in the concert hall. So the number of people that, that you actually brush shoulders with and interact with in a lifetime is astronomically high. You take 10 people and put them in the room, that's a couple of million people but they are impressing with a message. And the way you are moving through your life is the message that you're sending. Or as Gandhi put it, far more eloquently than I ever will, years ago when he invited us, be the change you
1: wish to see. This is so powerful. Could we live like heaven on earth is here and now? Could we set that intention? Could we bring forth that as a reality if we did that?
0: Yes, and there are those who have done it in limited ways with certain numbers of people. And the answer is, if we reach critical mass in the number of people who are searching for the same outcome and wishing to co-create the same outcome, yes, we can do it on a planetary basis. It is possible. And Conversations with God, Book 4, which is subtitled Awaken the Species, and the process by which that could occur... Is described. So, yes, it is possible to do that. And I've written a book as well called The God Solution. And The God Solution is just, it's only been out about two, two and a half years, relatively recent book. It's not a dialogue book, but it's a summation of all that we're talking about. And it says, you know what? We could solve humanity's biggest problems, our endless proclivity to create conflict, and violence between us when we disagree. We could solve all of that if we simply redefined God. Why? Why is the redefinition of God important? What does that have to do with it? Because with 4,223 religions on the earth, those religions are all telling us that we should, in fact, behave the way God behaves, to be, you know, to, to behave in, in a way which is divine. But if we think that the way God behaves is if God is judgmental, condemning, and punishing, we've given ourselves the perfect rationale to be judgmental, condemning, and punishing with each other. After all, it's good enough for God. It's good enough for us. So if God can operate with that kind of a system of celestial justice, so can we on this planet. So if you disagree with me or don't do exactly what I suggest or do exactly what I demand, I may just have to kill you. Thousands of people are dying as we speak on this planet, being killed by others over a border dispute. Can't even agree on where the border between our two countries should be. And we kill people to make the point. So when we redefine God and decide that God would never do such a thing, that God would never be judgmental, condemning, or punishing with us, There goes our rationale for being judgmental, condemning, and punishing with each other. Mm. So the book, The God Solution, says there's a two-word definition of God. You know what's interesting, Espen? Of the 4,000 religions on the face of the earth, very few of them can agree on a single statement that they can all embrace and every one of the religions can adopt. No, the reasons there are 4,000 religions is they have major doctrinal and dogmatic differences. Mm-hmm. No, you're right. We're wrong. We're we're right. You're wrong. We're right. You're wrong. No, our faith is right. Your doctrine is wrong. So everyone, but in the God solution, we come up with a definition that every religion on the earth could accept—a two-word definition of God: pure love. Aww. Now, my friend, yes. Here here's what's interesting. When I say that in front of an audience at a lecture hall. Somebody inevitably gets up in the back of the room and says, oh, Neil, come on, come on. I've been listening to you all this time for you to tell us that your great revelation is that God is love. Everybody knows that. Even religious that have dogmatic differences agree that God is love. And I have to say to my friend, whoa, 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 Hold, hold it, hold it, relax, relax. That's not what I said. Yes, it is. I just heard you say it. I said, no, no, no. What I said was, God is pure love. Now my friend in the back of the room will say, Okay, what's the difference, Smarty? And I say, the difference is that pure love needs, expects, requires, and demands nothing in return. You can't even love the person on the pillow next to us that way. Much less, can we imagine a God who loves us that way? Human beings have thought of love as a transaction. It's transactional. I love you if. I'll give you Freely. What I have to offer you, if you give me freely, what you have to offer me. But if you stop offering me what I hope to get from you, the deal is off. Because, kiddo, love is transactional. Because God's love with us is transactional. We do what God asks, do what God demands, do what God requires, and God loves us. Don't do what God demands and requires, and God will send us to everlasting damnation in hell. You know something, my friend? I was taught at the age of nine. I went to a Catholic school. My parents sent me to a Catholic elementary school. I was taught by a priest at the age of nine about the difference between mortal sin and venial sin. Mortal sin being a severe, severe, terrible thing to do. Mortal sin. And venial sin being a kind of a spiritual misdemeanor. So I raised my hand in class. I said, Father, can you give me an example of a mortal sin? I'm sure he's going to say, you know, like you know, a murderer or stealing someone's life savings, or, you know, abusing a child, perhaps. He says, sure. Missing Mass on Sunday is a mortal sin. Wow. I'm told at the age of nine that if I miss church on Sunday and don't go to confession and have that sin re- removed from my soul, the priest gives me absolution. If I die with that sin on my soul, I will be sent to hell for eternity. Because missing Mass on Sunday is a mortal sin. This is the God that the world wants us to believe in. Because the Catholic Church is not the only religion that teaches of a God who condemns us for things that are, in the overall scheme of things, relatively minor infractions, if that. Religions tell us what we're supposed to wear. We have to cover our whole face. We can only eat certain foods. We can't eat those foods on that day. We can't, we can't say this word. We can't use that word. There's one religion that teaches you can't even use the word God to describe God. You have to use a different word. Wow. So no wonder we are so intolerant with each other. Mm. When we realize that we have misunderstood God completely, then we will have unwrapped the God solution, which is... The divine's gift to humanity. By the way, anyone who wants a copy of the God Solution, I can't send them a hard copy because it would be out of, you know, impractical to do that. But if you want me to upload it to your computer, I will upload you a copy of the author's manuscript at no cost. I don't ask, I don't want a penny out of it. If you'd like to read the God Solution, send me an email and say, "Sneil, send me the God Solution, and I will upload it to your computer within 24 hours or less. My email address is simple, neil at com. Quite simple. And say, send me the God's solution, and it'll be in your mailbox within 24 hours. Because I want everyone to read, to embrace, and to step into the God solution. God is pure love. And then maybe... Just maybe we can begin to love the person on the pillow next to us in the same way.
1: Beautiful. This um, is revolutionary uh, because, indeed, it seems there is dogma around the world and separation around the world. And I would like to ask, would you say that God is unity? God is within everything and everywhere all the time, as in he is, he, she is, it is the divine is through all of those 4,200 religions, and our job would be to come together as one?
0: Of course. It's the very first message. In 3,000 pages of dialogue, on the first 10 pages, we're given that message. Said God to me in the very first important utterance, Neil, we are all one. All things are one thing. There is only one thing, and all things are part of the one thing there is.
1: Hmm. If God is real, which I hope that you feel and know, I certainly do, is the devil real, or is that a projection of us that we haven't healed yet? What's your two cents worth on that?
0: Not my two cents, but what God has told me. I want to make something very clear to people. What I've been saying here for the past hour has nothing to do with my ideas. Mm-hmm. This these, this is not my two cents. I've been sharing what I was invited to share in the dialogue. Thank you. And God made it very clear to me there's no such thing as Satan. Who, so who who would have created it? You can imagine me creating a Satan, a devil. But you guys, you know, out of your need to somehow explain your own worst behaviors, have decided that there is a a, a, a cause other than yourself. Gotta find someone to blame. So let's create. Let's uh, let let's create an, an entity that's causing us to act the way we're acting in our moments of weakness. Not only is there no such thing as a devil, there is no such place as hell.
1: Beautiful. Before I move on to my last question, firstly, thank you for offering us the opportunity to s- send you an email and actually receive the manuscript of of this profound teaching that you have received. So, thank you for passing it on. And just a reminder, that's neil at neildonaldwalsh.com. The website, ladies and gentlemen, is neildonaldwalsh.com. On Facebook is Neil Donald Walsh in one word. Please, if you haven't, and this is just from what I feel, take the time to read these books. If you're auditory, maybe download on uh, Audible or Spotify. Go and find and listen. If this has resonated with you and you feel like this could be something that would benefit you for your future, for your relationships, for your life, purchase the books, read the books, take the time and perhaps discover what a even more profound and ongoing conversation with the Creator and relationship with God might look like. Because if you believe like I believe that there there is something more to us than just flesh and bone, than the physical, than matter – and quantum physics has, of course, proven this, that we're, we're pure consciousness. There is such a thing as a unified field. Maybe that's another word for God or an aspect of God. Who knows?
0: Oh, uh, my friend, there's more going on here that meets the eye. Uh-huh. Or as Bill said, Bill put it perfectly. A couple hundred years ago, Bill wrote in a play the following sentence. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. There are more things in heaven and earth
1: than are dreamt of in your philosophy.
0: Thank you, Bill. Beautiful.
1: William Shakespeare, of course. I've got one last question for you, sir, if I may. You ready? Yes. I want you to imagine, and I'm gonna ask this in a different way compared to what I normally ask the people that I'm blessed to interview because of the as you say, it's not your messages, it's coming through you as a channel, as a as a vessel, as a vehicle perhaps. And the question is this. I want you to imagine now that every sentient being alive is gathered, watching, present, listening to your message, or may I change it to God's message, whichever you prefer, to the world right now. When you're ready, sir, take a breath and just share. What is your message to the world? What is God's message to the world right now? I don't need, I don't need to take a breath. I can tell you in reading sleep.
0: I can give you God's message to the world in five words. You've got me all wrong. See, people have asked me that question before, and they expect me to say something platitudinous like, love everybody, or be kind to your neighbor, or whatever, you know, they think I'm going to say. But I've asked God, what is your message to the world? And She said, you know, tell everybody that God wants you to know. You've got me all wrong. Now, if that's inaccurate... If that's simply inaccurate, the conversation is over. Keep on doing what we've been doing. Listen to the other 4,000 world's religions and notice that they're not really working to produce the outcomes we want them to produce, but what the hell? Or if that statement is accurate, that it turns out we've got God all wrong, maybe it's time to ask an important question. Is it possible? Just possible. that there's something we don't fully understand here, About God, about life, and about each other, the understanding of which would change everything? I think the answer is yes. And folks, if you think you heard all this on this program today by coincidence, you have no idea what's going on. Mm -hmm. Your soul brought you to these words right now, not by
1: coincidence. Thank you so much, Neil. It's just been. Heart opening, it's been beautiful. And from me personally, I'm so excited to get this message out to more people. Listeners, viewers, if you've enjoyed this, if this has touched you, touched your heart, if you felt something, please, perhaps it could be a great thing to share this with more people. And go and check out the website, purchase the books, read the books, and let's see what we could do to come together in unity, what we can do to come together in pure love and maybe not get God as wrong on our path to finding ourselves and to finding God, perhaps. Any final words from you, Neil?
0: Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, please consider the possibility that your life is not about you. Your life has nothing to do with you. It's about everyone whose life you touch and the way in which you touch it. But when you step into the living of life in that way, you discover a larger, a universal truth that in the cosmic, universal sense, your life really is about you
1: because there's only one of us in the room. Oh, that's an amazing way to wrap up the
0: podcast. Wow.
1: So it is. And so it is. All right, everybody. This has been profound for me. I hope it's been profound for you. Please do share. And let's come together in love. Let's come together and unite as we understand that we are all one. Thank you, Neil, for these powerful messages. I will continue to read through your series and humble myself in these words and also move forth with as much authenticity and pure love as I can in my heart and in my life. Thank you for being who you are and for sharing the messages that you're sharing. Thank you to God more than anything else for letting us have such conversations and bringing us together as one. Amen, a whole, and so it is, and all the appropriate words to wrap it up. Once again, thank you so much for listening. And if you want to learn more about how to walk the quantum path into life mastery, business mastery, uh, if you want to learn more about our live events or coaching or anything that we offer, go to www drespen.com that's d-r-e-s-p-e-m.com or email info at drespen.com and let's find out how we can help you take your life your business and your mission to a whole nother level we'll see you next time